Hi everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of Learning Out Loud. Today we are joined by Rob Kaplan. When Rob is out and about and someone asks him, what do you do? Instead of simply saying, I'm a mediator, he usually says, I used to be a warrior and now I'm a peacemaker. That response ordinarily leads to either a quizzical look or that person asking, what do you mean by that? To which Rob responds, I used to be a trial lawyer for nearly 20 years and for the last 20 plus years, I've been a mediator. When asked what kind of cases do you mediate, the first thing Rob says is, let me tell you what I don't do. I don't mediate divorce cases. My mediation practice involves a wide array of high exposure, complex cases, usually involving seven, eight, and nine figure disputes. As you know, this podcast is all about the multifaceted subject of quote unquote success. The fact that Rob is booked solid six months out speaks volumes of his professional success. But as you're about to hear, this is a unique episode where Rob really took the reins and passionately described his pillars of success, which despite his accolades, none of which have to do with external achievement. This is a really powerful episode and we hope that you enjoy. So I I purposely did not uh, watch any of the others. And and let me tell you why. I did not want to be influenced. I wanted to be a clean slate and I wanted this to be unfold more organically. And uh, what what I'm kind of launching off of is you guys saying that you're interested in entrepreneurship and self-development. And the I like the name of it, the learning out loud is about how uh, this, my understanding is, and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, about defining success and how you get there, how to get there. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Well, before we we dive into that, um, it's such an interesting topic and it can go in so many directions. And one one thing I thought for you, and I'm just, this is just planting a seed for, for you guys, if you took this on the road, meaning literally got on the road and picked 20, 30, 40, 50 different distinct um, uh, uh, cities, towns throughout the country with diverse populations politically, economically, you know, from you know Manhattan to Podunk, you know, North Dakota. And I hope nobody's from North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all kidding aside, and you went up to people and you say, "Hi, we're you know we're from uh, UVA," and you know, depending who you talk to, they may say, "Huh, what's UVA?" Um, <laughs> you know, probably a lot of people would, uh, but say, "Look, we're doing a class in uh, entrepreneurship and or whatever you want to call it. Keep it really simple and say, how do you define success?'" And get get the, the 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 patchwork quilt of how people define success. I'm gonna bet you, and this is something where again I want to thank you for this because it really uh, it really got me thinking about how do I define success, and I think my definition is gonna be a lot different than 
than a lot of the people, not better, just different than a lot of the people you would come in contact with. Um, I think, uh, and I told you, I'm, I'm a, I try to practice what I preach about keeping it simple and less is more. I distilled my definition down to eight words. That's pretty cool, huh? <laughs> <laughs> now, there's about a thousand subsections on this, but eight words. I'll give them to you in a minute. But I think the vast majority of the people you would encounter, if you were to take this on the road, have a different eight words. I think their eight words <clears throat> would be something to the effect, and let me make sure I have this right. If I have at least $10 million, if I have at least $20 million, if I have at least $100 million, and if it's your dad, if I have at least a billion dollars. <laughs> He's still sitting here. Walk from it. I would be, I would define that as success. So it's not binary. And we all know that. But to, I think, to, you know, it's not this, and you know, it's not on or off, yes or no. It's very complicated. And it's incredibly nuanced. Um, so what are the eight words I came up with? You ready for this? Okay, all the students are getting ready. Uh, <laughs> the, it's, and it really boils down to three silos, okay? Because I look at, you know, three different silos. The first silo is positive impact. I'm going to give them to you the eight words, and then I'm going to come back. Okay. The second silo is fun. The, three words, fun great experiences. I could have put the conjunctive fun and great experiences, but I'm trying to keep it skinny. Love it. The, third, the third silo is playing cards dealt. Mm. So let's go, let's go back to the top. Positive impact, having a positive impact in both a micro in a macro sense. I really thought a lot about that. That, that was the first thing that uh, started gelling in my mind. Uh, and, and let's start with micro. There's no more micro than just yourself, right? So having a positive impact on myself and that's you know, living a, you know, a healthy life right? Doing things. I, I, I subscribe to what I call the 80-20 rule. Uh, I made that up. 80% uh, of how I live my life is, is very healthy, very good, very, you know, 20% uh, not so much. <laughs> but the not so much stuff also gets into the second silo of fun. You know, when I go out and I drink too much or, you know, we have a party and, you know, it, it's crazy. <laughs> you looking at your dad over there. <laughs> exactly. Same rule. Same rule. And I do the exact same thing. <laughs> so, but positive impact. By the way, please stop me if at any time, you know, you have any questions. Okay, thank you. Uh, my, micro, starting with myself. Because if I'm not healthy, I can't do anything for anybody, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the next layer of, of micro and really 
other than making sure I'm well, the most important next layer of this, of course, is my family. And then my closest friends, Phil. <laughs> um, and and it's like there there's and you guys know that I lived in France for a couple of years and uh, don't ask me to speak uh, French. I, I got into Paris. I got into France because there is something called a dessert called a uh, mille foie. Mille foie. Do you know what it is? It's 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 spelled M I L L E F E U I L L E, but it's pronounced mille M E E L foie, F O I, and it means a thousand leaves. And if you see this, you go to a French bakery, you'll see it. It's just like a tiny little paper thin layers. It's not a thousand, you know, it's, it could be 20, 30, but so much of what I'm talking about is like a mille foie, right? There's so many layers when you start peeling this thing back. So let's go up from micro. Let's go to the biggest macro. Let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, having a, and this all goes back to having a positive impact on the world, on, on the environment. Uh, um, my wife and I have been very blessed uh, financially, which is a different part of success. One of the goals that I've, I've set for myself or hope to achieve earlier in my life was to have enough money where I can give a bunch of it away. Because I get off on giving away, you know, money to, to causes and, and helping uh, others in that way. And, uh, and, and as I said, my wife and I are incredibly blessed to where we were able to uh, start a private foundation. And, and that, that is something that uh, gets to the macro, right? I mean, uh, having a positive impact <clears throat> on the macro. Um, so that's that's kind of the uh, the first silo, and there's all these you know layers in between. When you you know if you want to really drill down, um, let, let's jump over to the second silo: the fun and great expectations. Uh, great, not expectations, great uh, experiences. Um, I think um, uh, there's, a, there's a big issue here when we get back to uh, money. And, and, and it's, because look, that, you, we can call it what you, what you want, but it's the elephant in the room, not in a negative way, right? Because you guys are in one of the best schools in the country, and you know you, you're one of the things that is driving you, that drives anybody who has aspirations to start their own businesses and are really, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, is to get get the reward, because the reward brings all sorts of great stuff. Right, that's this is a silo. The ability to move to Paris with your family. How many people can do that? A lot of people think about it, but and and interestingly, a lot of people who have the means don't do it 
which gets into a whole other issue about why they don't do it. And uh, and and it it gets into the what I think is a is a incredibly important issue when you're young and you're kind of on this you're on life's journey. Um, have you ever heard the story about uh, two famous authors? Uh, I'm sure you know them, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, right? And uh, you better know him if you're at UVA. <laughs> uh, and and Joseph Heller, who who wrote um, Catch Twenty Two. Yeah. I'm not going to quiz you on the books, but um, the story the story is that they were uh, at invited over to this incredible penthouse apartment in New York owned by a hedge fund manager, you know, and, and everything's relative, right? I'm, 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 you know, I've done pretty well, but I'm like a flea on the tail of, of the elephant compared to what those folks make. I mean, they are, just, it's just insane, right? Um, most of them aren't that happy, but that's, a, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, I know, I know some of them, um, but the story is a fantastic story. Have you ever heard it, of this story? No. Uh, apparently they're being wined and dined and this hedge fund manager had invited them over and, you know, he's uh, always wanted to meet these two famous authors. And, uh, you know, while they, they had this fantastic lunch off the off the charts he, your dad would have even been blown away by the lunch <laughs> <laughs> and, and and uh they uh, and and the hedge fund manager gets a call he's you know he gets a call he says excuse me this is a you know i would i i'm so sorry but this is like something that's off the you know i i gotta go tend to this uh please you know please excuse me and he leaves and he goes into his home office it's this massive whole floor of this building. Um, and uh, and Vonnegut and uh, Heller are talking to, the, to each other and they're looking around and they're, the artwork, all this stuff. And I, I forget which one said this. So we'll say it was uh, Vonnegut says to Heller, he goes, you know, this guy makes in a day, right? Or two days, what we have spent our whole lives accomplishing, you know, financial, our whole lives, you know, we're pretty famous authors and he makes it in a day. He's probably making double what we've made our whole life right now on that phone. And the other guy says, yeah, but you know something, we have something he doesn't have. And you know what the answer is? One word, enough. Mm. We have enough. Mm. And let me tell you something. Um, that's a pretty. This morning, I, I just had this conversation with Dave, who you know, with the, uh, you know, from San Diego, remember Dave with the outdoor billboards? Yep, yep, yep. The whole topic was that. It was exactly that. I was listening to about, that's the word, enough. Be satisfied. Enough. Enough. <laughs> enough. And I think that the people, who are so driven to, uh, you know, to become, you know, centibillionaires, billionaires, excuse me, centimillionaires, billionaires. Now we have centibillionaires, which is unfathomable. 
Um, even a billionaire is to me almost unfathomable. Um, but for the most part, and I know se several billionaires, uh, they have an unfillable hole in their psyche that they're trying to fill with. And it's not so much you get to a point, it's not so much stuff because they can afford, I mean, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Abramovich, you know, up until the whole Russian thing, you know, had three of the largest yachts in the world. You know, it's like, come on, <laughs> you know, you need three. Um, but, but, but they're trying to fill a hole. And one of the things I used to say, in fact, when we lived, when we came back, uh, it's been now uh, hard to believe, we, we moved to Paris in 1998, right after the French won the World Cup. And um, we lived there for two years. And uh, I came back and I started writing a book about the experience, um, kind of like A Year in Provence, uh, Under the Tuscan Sun, you know, all these kind of books. Um, but I was writing it not at all thinking of, of you know, writing a bestseller. I was writing it more as a, um, a journal, if you will, for my kids and my future then thinking future grandchildren and their children uh it will absolutely come up wait a second you know great grandma and grandpa moved to paris when you you know when 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 grandma and grandpa my kids you know i'm going now a couple generations ahead were three and five years old wtf Get tell me more, you know, tell me more. And and uh, um, I I started writing this book and, it, you know, just for them. And I got about, uh, Phil, I don't think you even know this. I got about 150 pages written. Um, and uh, uh, it's on my list <laughs> to to finish um, in the next, you know, when, when I when, when I step back from working as hard as I've been working doing, you know, my, my, my day job. But at one point I was thinking of different uh, titles um, uh, and, and uh, one of the titles I came up with, which at the time there was no Elon Musk, uh, you know, there, it was, it was a different world. Bill Gates was, you know, he was the pinnacle and one of the titles I came up with was, was, quote, richer than Gates. And the reason was simple. I had two years. I was 42. My kids were, you know, like little sponges. And I had two years with my kids. And my wife, and I should add to this, uh, I, I, I worked, this is in the, in the early days of the internet. Um, I, I, I worked, I had one associate and we were on emails and I had a, a Nokia phone, I'll never forget. It had this distinct ring. I can't sing, but it, it went da-da-la-da-da-da-la-da-da-da-la-da-da. And my, my associate's name is Tom. And, 
Uh, and every day at six o'clock in the evening, which is 9 a.m. in San Diego, that phone would ring and Rex, little Rex, my son, who's now 30, would say, Tom's calling. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Tom ring. And a long story short is Tom got stolen by a big law firm and he, uh, um, he called me up. He said, the hardest call I have to make in my life. And I said, hey, Tom, you got a wife and three kids. You got to do what's best for you. And I had a very unique practice. I had only a few cases that I handled. A lot of lawyers handled tons of cases. I only picked, I hand chose and I, and I worked the heck out of these cases. And each one was worth, hopefully, a lot of money because I was a contingency fee lawyer specializing in suing insurance companies. And at that point, I was thinking about retiring and uh, 42. And he retires and I and my wife, Kelly, takes care of all the, the finances. I make the money. She does everything else, everything. And I didn't even know what I had. And I said, you know, Tom retired. And I go, what, what are we going to do? She goes, sweetie, you don't have to worry about it. We got enough money. Hey, we, enough. We have enough money. <laughs> um, so I was like blown away. I said, wow. Um, I was, there's a Joni Mitchell song. I don't know if you know Joni Mitchell, but uh, she has, she has a line uh, in one of her songs is, uh, I was a free man in Paris and better than alive. No one calling me up for favors, no one's future to decide. And that was me at age 42 with my kids and my wife living large. I mean, crazy hopping on a plane, going down to Spain, taking the Eurostar to London for the weekend. And, you know, the list goes on and on. And, and I tell you that not to, to brag, just it, it, it was, again, go back to the second silo here. Was I successful? Damn yes. I think more so than Bill Gates. I really do. It took a lot of courage, though, I got to tell you. Um, and, uh, that's a, that's a separate story with like three bottles of wine. And, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, when you, when you come out to Palm Springs, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll drill you down deeper on that one. But, um, that, that was, that was crazy. That was crazy. We didn't know a soul. We didn't speak the language. <laughs> Going to Naples, Florida is a little different than going across the world. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. That's what we're saying. We're saying it's incredible. Yeah, that's what I keep telling them. Like, and wait, wait, there's, but there's one super important thing as far as success, quote unquote, is concerned. I was at a point in my career where my trajectory was like this. I was killing it. People thought, seriously, people thought, oh shit, Rob and Kelly, they, they must have some legal problems. They might, you know, maybe the government's going after them for tax stuff. I mean, people thought there was some serious stuff going on. I go, no, there's nothing going on. Uh, we, we just decided that um, we want to do something different. Now, this gets into the third 
silo. Kind of cool how all this comes gets sewn together, huh? Because I didn't think about you know, it, but but it is, and it all gets back to you know that 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 middle foy of uh, you know a, a thousand pages or excuse me thousand leaves or a diamond you know 64 facets it's not if only i had 10 million 20 30 50 100 million dollars um, so everybody has cards that are dealt to them if if you haven't yet i'd be surprised um you will and when I say cards dealt, I mean serious shit. I mean really serious stuff. Um, I grew up in a time uh, when conventional thought was if one of the parents is uh, sick and dying, you don't tell the young kids and young defined as less than a teenager or mid-teens. I'm the youngest of three kids. Um, I have a sister who's four years older than me and a brother who's seven years older than me, which now is not a big deal. But when you're young, that four and seven years is a big deal. You know, My brother's almost eight years, so he's like a, almost a parent. Um, and at the time, uh, in, the, in the going on late 1960s, my mother, um, I now know, back then they didn't tell me, uh, she uh, had cancer. And um, my brother and my sister were in college, and I was home with my father, and my father was uh, an alcoholic, uh, and I can say that non it's not disparaging because uh, a few years later, he hit bottom. He picked himself up, went into a AA meeting in New York City when he turned 50 and, uh, and uh, stayed clean. He met his then future wife, Carol, 22 years younger than him, who I think accounted him being, being and staying sober and having a wife that much younger, I think accounted uh, in large part for him um, living to two years ago, and he he died just shy of ninety six. Okay, there is no way in the world he would live, you know, to sixty nine had he kept drinking. But come back, here I am, at the time eleven, turning twelve, uh, living with an alcoholic father, a mother who then uh, goes through different treatment, including a radical mastectomy. Again, I didn't know what that meant. I, you know, they, they hid that from me. Um, and I remember being taken to the hospital, um, Albert Einstein uh, Medical Hospital. And uh, kids weren't allowed, but they made a special uh, exception for me. And um, uh, my mom was dying, but I didn't know it. And uh, I came home from school. Uh, let me back up. She turned 40 years old, which I know at your age still seems probably a little bit on the old side. <laughs> but let me tell you, it is young. 
She turned 40 years old on April 15, 1969, and she died two days later. And I get off the school bus and my uncle, her only sibling, who is, uh, they were like, quote, Irish twins. Um, he's, he meets me in the street. I walk back to the house and he meets me outside. I remember the exact place we were standing in the street. And he says, uh, back then everybody called me Robbie. Uh, he says, Robbie, there's something I need to tell you. I, I go, Uncle Stan, what are you doing here? Because he's a lawyer and he worked downtown New York and he's never, ever, ever been home on a weekday. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen, he was a, he was a workaholic. Um, he goes, well, I need to tell you something. I said, what? He goes, your mom's not coming home from the hospital. I said, why not? She's dead. <laughs> Sorry. Hard to believe 60, uh, you know, 52 years or whatever, 50, 50, let's see, 54 years later. Um, so, uh, that was a pretty heavy card, right? Um, and I remember in, in the days after um, we were sitting Shiva and it was dark, it was dark. And it got darker after, you know, the all the, you know, the people left and, um, and I, I, I have a distinct memory. Uh, it's a tremendous challenge. Uh, when kids um, grow up in a privileged environment, as I'm sure all, I'm guessing, I know Marley has, but I'm guessing you guys have as well. And my kids, uh, I think one of my and Kelly's, my wife's greatest successes, and I mean this from my heart, is having raised, and I know your mom and dad, Marley, you know, your dad's going like this, like this right now, <laughs> uh, is, is having raised two children who are extraordinary human beings um, and who recognize uh, the, the privilege that they've been afforded. And most importantly, most importantly, are not the least bit entitled. Uh, and uh, um, to me that, to me and Kelly, that's, you know, that that was the most important thing that they not be, because of our, uh, what we've been able to accomplish that they, and, and anybody who meets them, uh, you know, knows that. And that, that talk about success, I got to really pat myself on the back and, and mostly Kelly on the back. I mean, it's both of us, but I mean, she's just uh, unbelievable. Just like I know your mother is. Molly. So again, guys, I don't know you guys, so I can't say <laughs> about your parents. Um, but um, uh, I want to come back to um, playing cards dealt. Um, That darkest cloud, and you know the old saying, every 
cloud has a silver lining, right? Um, I believe is what gave me the courage and the impetus to do what so many people don't do, which is to step away, get off that gilded treadmill, get off that, that trajectory, that ladder, the golden ladder that I'm climbing and I'm climbing it fast uh, because I know at your age, you, you know, I know you, you know it, but you don't know it till you know it. Life is short. And I got that thrown in my face at age 12. And I am certain that that, and, and just look at the ages. We moved to Paris when I was 41. My mom died when she was 40, you know? Um, and and that that's a whole major complicated issue. Both spouses need to want to do it because how challenging it is. And there's timing issues. You know, if the kids were maybe three, four years later and they wanted, you know, they all they wanted to do at that point in the life was be with us, right? And so the timing was perfect. Um, so there you have it. Um, <laughs> that's my, that's kind of my overview of <laughs> how I define success. Um, and I'm happy to answer whatever questions you have. <laughs> I need to think a second. Do you have anything? About well, I was just going to say thank you. And that, yeah, that, was, that was awesome. awesome. That was, that could be, you know, a university uh, class right there. Really. Totally. That, was, that was awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.